tap it in. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Big Players Only Podcast, a partner of the Listen Frederick Podcast Network and sponsored by the best-tasting pre-mixed transfusion on the market, now 7% to get you feeling right for craft cocktails. Got myself, Ben, Josh, Tully, and Colin with you today. We're going to start by looking at the AIG Women's Open from this past week, the fifth and final major for the women. Ashley Buhai holding it together, shooting a final round 75 when she had a five-shot lead, but she sneaks into a playoff, wins in four holes. What a dramatic ending to a great event. The first time they played in Mirfield, we got a stacked leaderboard to unpack and lots of other stuff too. And then looking over at the PGA Tour, the Wyndham Championship wraps up this past Sunday and concludes the regular season for the PGA Tour, a PGA Tour Pro's final chance to get into the top 125, securing their tour card for next year and getting into the FedEx Cup playoffs. We also had a standout star, young 20-year-old Tom Kim gets his first PGA Tour win on exempt status, not even a full PGA Tour member. We got lots to break down about him. We got some problems with Will Zalatoris and his caddy to talk about. And then we're going to talk about some of the guys that just barely got into the FedEx Cup playoffs and those that just barely missed. And before we jump into this week's proceedings, we're going to talk about the Live Golf Golf Tour, the antitrust lawsuit that was filed by 11 PGA Tour players to the PGA Tour, upsetting many of their former colleagues. I believe we have some court proceedings today we're going to get into, and we also have a potential signing from one of the biggest players in the world. And then looking forward to this week, the PGA Tour is kicking off the FedEx Cup playoffs. 125 of the best golfers in the world going at it. First up's the FedEx St. Jude and Memphis, Tennessee at TPC Southwind. FedEx Cup points are quadrupled in the playoffs, so anybody having a good week this week is well on their way to playing in the next two events to then compete in the Tour Championship. So lots going on. So we're going to break down all of the FedEx Cup playoffs for you. We'll break down the scoring formats and then uh, who we like this week and what we're expecting to see at TPC Southwind. So thanks, everyone, for joining us, and we hope you enjoy the episode. Four Craft Cocktails, the best-tasting and easiest-drinking transfusion on the market. Whether you're on the course, at a tailgate, or enjoying a Friday night with your friends, you'll find the pre-mixed 7% Four Craft Transfusion just what you're looking for to mix things up. With a variety of other products, including a Bloody Mary, Ranch Water, and a coming this summer, John Daly, it's the go-to beverage for the big players. A family-owned, all-natural, gluten-free drinking option that has the guys playing their best and feeling even better. You can find all their retail locations at 4craftcocktails.com. That's F-O-R-E, craftcocktails.com. And make sure to mention to your local beer shop and golf course that we need these things everywhere. All right, the women wrap up their fifth major of the season. Ashley Buhai, a South African that had never really, I guess, contended in a major. I saw she came top 10 in 2020 in the Women's Open. She takes on the title. She beats our PGA champion from this year, Inji Chun, in a four-hole playoff. Uh, it was a lot of fun to watch. This is the first time that the women are at Muirfield. Um, it wasn't until three years ago that Muirfield was even allowing women members um, I think something that's probably pretty upsetting. I, it upsets me. When we think about it, Augusta is like our more recent example of that. I think it was 2012 when they allowed women to become members. It was Condoleezza Rice. It was a big storyline. Um, but, man, what do we have to do in the world of golf to get women to be members of these courses? I mean, 20, 2019 and just allowing members seems crazy. It's kind of crazy that the last time we kind of heard about Muirfield, last time it was on the map, was when Phil won the Open Championship there. And 
to think at that point, women were not allowed to be members at that point. It's kind of nuts. Yeah, and also in the same vein, let's put Augusta National on notice here. I think that's really the only course left that the LPGA, the best women in the world, are not able to play on. Sure, they have the Women's Am event where they play one day there, but let's see a Women's Masters next year, the year after. I think that would be incredible. All right, at that point, how many majors then do the women technically have? It's like 12 majors for them. Well, yeah, I guess you'd have to repurpose Just the Chevron dash, or something. dash the Evian. I, that's not even technically a major anyway. <laughs> or I guess it's technically a major, I think the Chevron. not in function. I like but. the Evian. I like when they go and play a different course because it's always like British golf or American golf, but then the Evian brings in French golf. I think take the Chevron one year, play it at Augusta. That would be really cool. So let's look at this top five. Ashley Buhai wins. Um, for most of you, I, I'm not too familiar with Ashley. She's a 33-year-old from South Africa. She famously won like three South African Opens in a row. Uh, first person to do it in like 100 years. So she's been around. Uh, she's a really talented player. She does shoot four over in the final round, though, uh, tripling the 15th hole to squeeze into a playoff. So she started the day like five shots ahead of Inji Chun. Squeezes into a playoff. The playoff itself, I think... It lacked a little bit of uh, excitement, but um, 25 mile an hour crosswind on a 430 yard par four for the women. I mean, they're hitting driver five wood, driver hybrid into this hole every time. So uh, over four holes, I think Ashley was probably two over and then Ingie finished three over. But uh, windy conditions. Uh, let's just go through the rest of this top five. Like we said, uh, when we went to Congressional and watched the PGA Championship for the women, the KPMG, Ingie Chun won there after Lexi's kind of infamous collapse. Ingie comes in second, lost in a playoff, but played some really inspiring golf. Uh, third place was Hinaka Shibuno. Someone that I think six months ago I didn't know that well, but now that I've started to watch her, like she's becoming quickly one of my favorite golfers on the LPGA Tour. You got to watch her swing. It's like DJ. She really lays the club off really pretty. Beautiful swing. Leanna McGuire also in the top five. Uh, it's good to see Leanna back. A little bit of an up and down season for her. She had a win early on in February. She lost to Jennifer Cupcho at the Meyer. But she also had five missed cuts in the past 10 weeks. So a little bit of up and down performance for Leona. But good to see her back. Dub, I saw you had some comments about Minji. Talk about a hell of a year from Minji. She gets another top five and another major after winning the Women's U.S. Open earlier this year. She is really shaping up to be, you know, one of the best players ever. And she's on course to just continue to dominate this game. Yeah, she's the best woman in the world right now, female golfer-wise. Uh, yeah, the 26-year-old from Australia is having an unbelievable year. She's number one in the race to the CME, which is the season-long women's competition. I think she's number two right now in the world, still behind Jin Young-Ko, but she's definitely knocking on the door with, with how well she's played. She obviously won the U.S. Women's Open at Pine Needles, and she's turned in two other top fives at majors, rounding out with a, a 12th and then a, a T43. She's had the best performances. She's playing unbelievable right now, so she's going to just, you know, kind of turn it up, I think, going forward. I mean, she sneaks into second or third at the KPMG that we went to, and, um, I mean, Inji makes, like, a really great par on 18 uh, to only beat uh, Minji by one. I mean, she could have easily finished the season with two or three majors, so a hell of a year from her. Yeah, it's, it's uh, interesting, you know, if we're going to go back to Augusta National, it's interesting to look back. Her experience caddying for her brother, Minwoo, at the par three competition has sparked this unbelievable run that she's gone on this year. So clearly some magical powers exist at the uh, grounds of Augusta. Yeah. And the only player this week at a fairly difficult Muirfield to have four rounds under par, like really impressive stuff. You know, you look at a, a woman like Jin Young Ko, 
you're right. She can certainly light the world on fire. But I'd say over the past six months, we've seen a couple rounds out of Jin Young that are just kind of like, they're kind of mediocre. They don't really, you know, get you too excited. But I'm telling you, Minji is playing some of the most consistent elite golf I've seen from man or woman over the past 10, 20 years. I mean, it's really exciting. Let's let's give credit to NG Chun, too. I mean, she won the KPMG. She almost wins her second major this year. I mean, this is honestly the first year I've really started actually getting into and watching LPGA, but I've just been so impressed with her. She's almost pulled, she almost pulled off the Scotty Scheffler treatment this year, pulling off two majors. Yeah, and a bit of a revitalization to her career too, right? Minji, not I think Inji's a little older than Minji, but yeah, Inji Chun won her first major, I think, in like 2014. So it had been a bit of a gap for her too since winning at the KPMG. But yeah, love to see her in there. And I also really like Inji because she just seems like such a great role model. Like I would say most of these women really take it, you know, pridefully know that they're influencing the next generation. But for Inji, it really just seems like she's out there to try and grow the game, South Korean golf, and uh, is such a great role model. Yeah, it's fascinating. She won her first major at Lancaster Country Club back in 2015, and it's unreal how much she still does for that course. She goes there annually, gives lessons for free, does a lot of community outreach around there. So definitely giving back a lot to the women's game and growing the game in general. And then wrapping up our top five at the AIG Women's Open is Madeline Sagstrom, uh, a golfer that you hear a lot about on the No Laying Up podcast, kind of like their their LPGA girl, along with um, that other Lauren girl that's also really good, the one from Virginia that forecasts. Coughlin. Coughlin. Swedish golf is certainly on the up and up, man. I mean, you got all of these players playing well between, you know, Madeline Sagstrom and Lynn Blad, and then... Who's your girl, Colin, who played um, Lynn Grant, Lynn right? Grant. I mean, and I think I saw another Swedish player on the leaderboard this weekend, and I'm like, man, they got something really going for them. Yeah, just one more here. Uh, a Tyatitical, another top 10, three straight top 10s in the major season. She's still only 19. I think she's sixth in the world now. A name that's going to be around for a long time. Her best golf is still ahead of her. Yeah, another one of those players, you're right, that's, like, consistent. But then, like, like Lydia, when she was young, like, when they get in trouble, man, they can really get out of it, right? I think that, remember, we, we commented so much about the, the coverage of the U.S. Open talking about Jin Young Ko and how she's not that great at getting out of trouble when she's in it because she's not there very often. But you see some of these players rising the ranks, like Minji. I mean, Nelly's good at it. Lydia's good at it. And so is Ataya. When they get in trouble, it's like they kick it into an extra gear and hit some, you know, like Jordan Spieth kind of shots, you know? So a great week at the AIG Women's Open. We'll turn it over to the Wyndham Championship from this past week on the PGA Tour. The final regular season event, like we said, the, the last chance to get into the playoffs to secure your PGA Tour card for the upcoming year. Our boy Tom Kim, 20 years old, the first player to win a PGA Tour event and being born in the 2000s. What a, what a, what a storyline there. Colin, let's get some more on this guy. Yeah, let's just have a rapid fire on Tom Kim here. So... Coming into this tournament, he actually had a temporary membership on the PGA Tour uh, before winning. So he is now the fourth temporary member to win on tour and kind of earn that full membership for next year. The last three to do it, Morikawa, Spieth, and Lowry. Combined six majors between them, and then they've all won the Open Championship. So that's really good company for our boy. That's Tom elite here. company. That's elite. awesome. Um, he's nicknamed Tom. That's not his real name. Uh, <laughs> Ju Hyung Kim. Ju Hyung Kim. Yes, his nickname is Tom. Anyone want to guess where that came from? He's a big Thomas the Tank Engine guy. Exactly. That's actually not bashful true. about it either, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, in his early twenties, he's like, I'm a big Thomas Tank Engine fan. Yeah. So he wasn't even listed in the projections for the FedEx Cup Championship here. With his win now, he had he jumps all the way up to thirty fourth. So that basically not only qualifies him to go forward into the. Uh, end of the year tournament here 
that also bumped one of the players that were fighting for a spot down because he wasn't even on the map before this. So that had pretty big implications. He shoots a minus 8, 27 on the front nine on Sunday, which is the second lowest nine-hole score in PGA Tour history. Um, Corey Pavin somehow shot a 26 back in the 2006 U.S. Bank Championship. That's an unbelievable score for nine holes. He actually started the tournament with a quadruple bogey eight on the first hole. Been there. He's only the third player in the shot link era to card a quadruple bogey or worse on the first hole and go on to shoot under par for that round. And he not only went on to shoot, I think it was four under for that first round, he went on to win the whole damn thing. So really impressive stuff from Tom. He made 301 feet of putts in the first two rounds, which is also a record like at this course um, since the Wyndham has come here. So just all in all, an unbelievable weekend for Tom Kim really puts him on the map moving forward here. Yeah, I mean, the mental fortitude to start your your you know temporary membership thing, your round there with a quadruple bogey and then just come out and win the whole thing is phenomenal. I saw he like opened the tournament at like plus 2,900 and then after that jumped to like plus 12,000 on the wow. odds like to live bet him. Yeah, I think with us, if we start with a quad, we're either just walking off or we're just giving up on the round and it and becomes a the, drinking day. Yeah, the hitting the drinks a, a little too hard day. from that point forward. Well, I remember this came up earlier in the year, Telly, when we were talking about how you were having good starts and like just like quite not, not quite getting it finished to finish up the round. And uh, I love that. This is the tour pros mentality is just like, Every shot and every hole is its own instance. Like, just because you hit one bad drive doesn't mean you're hitting the ball bad. Um, but, Colin, to your point about Tom shooting the 27 on the front, I think when you look at these young players that have success, you're looking for, like, unique ways to identify them. Like, how are they standing out? So just because, like, a guy comes out of nowhere and wins a tournament, like, that doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be successful going on forward. But shooting a 27 on the PGA Tour is something that's, like, it's it's incredibly hard to do, and I think it really sets the path for him. As to be, he's going to be a superstar, I think. Yeah, I mean, like you said, he's only 20 years old, so he's already putting up these numbers, all these records in one weekend at 20 years old. Who knows? He's such a bright future ahead of him. Also, like, not very physically intimidating either, so I believe once he gets in the gym and he puts on a few pounds, gets a little more distance, he could be a real force to reckon with. We've and, been saying that about Colin for years, but that never happened. Yes, we have. He still needs to get in there, yeah. And shout out, shout out to South Korean golf just in general. Like you have Tom Kim here. Sung Jae has been impressive for a couple years now. KH Lee, I think, has won already uh, twice now on tour. So um, not only the women, but the men. I mean, South Korea has got some really good golfers out there right now. So then how about another headline from this tournament? Will Zalatoris firing his caddy, an infamous caddy, really. He wears that red hat, right? So it's, like, easy to recognize him. It seemed like they had such a good bond, and Will certainly had a pretty crazy start to his PGA Tour career, right? Second year, he's just, you know, top 10 in the rankings. Uh, what do you guys think about that? It feels like a, a little bit of a you know, hasty move there by Willie Z. I mean, this guy's, you know, done phenomenal in the majors all throughout his career at this point, and it's just going to be like, nope, I haven't won, so I'm going to cut you loose. I mean, I get it. It's frustrating to come so close so often, but you know, we saw two two you know, kind of big names cutting their caddies. With yep. Ricky also let his go, I think, earlier today. Breaking news. And it's just like it's two completely different mindsets there. Like, Ricky's makes sense. He's been struggling, whatever. You know, Will Zalatoris has you know, a couple bad weeks, and he's like, no, I'm done with you. I get it. There's a lot of, like, personal stuff that happens on there, but it seems, it seems like a little bit of an aggressive move from Will. Yeah, I think the the Will one, yeah, they said something about like like tensions were bleeding it off the course. Yeah. So I can understand how that can just be like, you know, you know, you got to keep work and home life very separate in this instance because golf can be it's a go, it's a it's a game that takes so much time out of your day to practice that you really got to separate. I think the one thing with Ricky is like 
I don't think it's his caddy, and I feel so bad for his caddy because he's endured like three years of Ricky's shit play, really not making a ton of money. I'm not sure what kind of sponsorship maybe split he has, but like, you know, Ricky's PGA Tour earnings have been pretty, pretty minimal over the past few years. This guy's like, you know, living on a, a bottom third caddy salary, obviously caddying for a very influential player, but then Ricky just cuts him, but I don't think it's the caddy. I think Ricky just sucks ass right now. Whoa. Like, what are you talking about? He's, he's made the FedEx Cup playoffs. He is. He is playing a little better. But, yeah, I just I think I think putting it on your caddy and parting ways, when you don't have a really really a, a great example like Will where he's saying it's like the off-the-course stuff is just it's too much. So yeah. Maybe Ricky's caddy will get an upgrade now. Maybe another high-profile that's a player. Great, that's a great, great, could be great an upgrade point. for him, actually. But going back to Will, Willie Zalatoris' uh, split, it was kind of interesting to me. I, read, I was reading about it today. He says that he had a really tough month this past – Month. I mean, I know he missed the cut at the Scottish Open, but I think he was like 28th at the Open Championship. Yeah, and nothing to shake your head at. 20th at, at the Rocket Mortgage Classics. Like, he's not playing poorly. I guess, to me, it just seems like the pressure of being close in all those majors and being, I think he's like the highest ranked player in the world right now to not have a PGA Tour victory. It's, maybe that's what's getting to him, and he's like really starting to feel the pressure. Yeah, you got it's like a scapegoat thing. I know. I always yeah. feel bad when caddies get fired because it doesn't seem like there's ever a good reason, right? You want to see like a caddy like cuss at his player. It's like, all right, then you can fire him. But if they don't do that, then it's like, what's the real reason? Yeah, I couldn't agree more there, Colin. Also, just I know we kind of moved back to Willie Z. Really surprised, Ricky Fowler, twenty first in career earnings. He's way higher up there for guys oh. who won like twice. Yeah, well, he got yeah. He was there were three or four years there where he was yeah he was contending just, all the time. And another guy example like similar to Willie Z where he didn't really like he's he was like where Tony Finau is kind of at now where he never really crossed that echelon where he was winning a lot but he was contending a lot. Yeah, yeah it's a million dollars is what uh, official PGA Tour earnings for Ricky Fowler this year. Still not bad. Well, he's also playing better. Yeah, okay. I think the I think the PGA Tour was dying to get him in this FedEx Cup. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> For I, sure, he got what? How many sponsors exemptions to these tournaments? Yeah, to, he uh, had a lot. To a uh, backdoor in as the last guy in. Oh, so. Ricky, you're one twenty eight. All right, live, you're out. <laughs> All right, so other events that happened this last weekend, Dub. We got to talk about Sawgrass. Our boy Dub playing Sawgrass. None of us have played it. I don't know the timetable for any of us actually playing it. Dub, how was the experience? What was the course like? Give us favorite holes. Give us a breakdown. Talk about old time. (laughs) Absolutely incredible of an experience. Uh, I don't regret spending, I think it was $500 to play with the caddy and and everything that goes into it. (laughs) And uh, before I even got there, my flight got canceled going down to Florida, and I was supposed to be playing the next morning. So... There was a couple hours where I was convinced I was going to have to pay the greens fee and not actually get to play. Flew in somewhere else, had someone like drive three hours, pick me up, got got to where I was staying at like three in the morning. Didn't sleep at night, was a little kid before Christmas the night before, couldn't sleep, got up, went there. All I can say, it was such an incredible experience, like anywhere you went, like I was kind of expecting it to be a bit pretentious. You know, it's the the players, it's the TPC Sawgrass, like the the gem of the TPC crown. But everybody who worked there, which it seemed like there were 5,000 people working there that day, like they went out of their way to make sure you had a good time. Uh, we didn't spend too much time in the clubhouse, but it was really cool to walk around. It's pretty much like a museum for the players. Tournament itself, you see all these pictures. You know, I got my picture with uh, Cam Smith, which big name head, for headless, headless Cam Smith. Uh, and all, you know, I think each person, their most iconic shot of the tournament like the the TPC keeps their club and that's in like a display. So so a really cool experience. 
Uh, one of my first times having a caddy out there. So got to give a shout out to my boy, Tom. He's, uh, he played some professional golf, but he was out there, you know, spotting down our drives, giving us the, uh, the reads on the putts. He was telling us some cool stories and, you know, every hole we were on, he'd be like, you know, this is the shot where, you know, John Rahm went for the green and two and came up short in the water. So it was really cool to kind of live through those experiences with him and even thanked us after the round. He's like, you know, I'm so used to caddying for guys coming out here and shooting 130 who have never played golf before. They just have so much money that they're out here playing. So it's it's kind of cool to play with people who were, you know, at least halfway decent at Competent. hitting the ball. So, so what did you shoot? If sh- you had to add it up. I shot a very legitimate 38 on the front nine. I was hitting the ball really well. After that breakfast ball on one. Though, the, uh, right? Yes, exactly. I made a nice birdie on nine to round out the front. The back nine, the wheels fell off big time. Relied on a lot of mulligans to shoot, I don't know, 42. So it was it was nothing close to that. But anyway. Did we break 90? Well, yeah, I didn't keep like my – like, I, I was but, playing big hash. If you were to go – If you were to go yes, to – I broke nine. I shot If you were to add 38 and 42. 52 <laughs> on the back. No, well, he said he took a lot of mulligans. I'm just saying if he was to guess, if, you know, he was to – You, it, know, you were encouraged to like, oh, you hit a bad drive. Not that I was doing this nearly as much as everyone else, but like if you hit a bad drive, just Ugh. tee another one up. Like we're there to have a good time. Sure. Like – it's a tough enough course. Uh, and, and the other thing that was cool about the course is, you know, you, you pay all that money, but they give you a nice souvenir. You get a, a metal bag tag they engrave for you at the end of the round, free of charge. You know, a nice little <laughs> uh, cherry free. on top of the round. You get it engraved. It's not worth to do that $500 uh, tea time? No, completely separate. <laughs> but the course itself, I, I, I just I can't get over how immaculate of shape it was in. It was like there wasn't even a leaf out of place. It was so impossible, but still in a fun way. I mean, like watching it on TV, watching these pros play, they make it look so easy. But basically every hole, you had water on one side, sand on another, something short, something long. You had to put it in such like a postage stamp style landing area. If you didn't hit a perfect drive, like you're playing out of a hazard. And it it made it so hard. Your approach shots were just as tough because you got the green that are undulated enough and then bunkers all over the place. So so I really was able to appreciate the architecture that went into this, which, you know, normally you play courses and you don't really think of that kind of stuff, but it was just like, God, like every shot you're hitting, I have nowhere to miss. I have to hit a perfect shot or else I'm, you know, having to get up and down from a pot bunker or something like that. So it was so challenging, but in a fun kind of way that made it, you know, definitely a real positive experience. And I think the biggest thing that really blew me away were the greens. So they're the Bermuda grass, and they had an unbelievable amount of grain. Where grass you would, guy. You would look at every <laughs> single green, and it would be like one side's like white looking, and the other side's dark green. And the caddy who was reading putts for us, he'd be like, this putt breaks about you know a foot right, but because the grain's going the other way, it's barely going to break at all. And, and like So to wrap your head around the fact that yeah, it looks like it's going to break, but it's not because of the grain. I mean, it's just like, how do these pros come to courses like this and just believe those reads and, and deal with with that kind of thing? So, I mean, I think it was natural. I think the longest putt I made was about four feet. You'd think I'd get lucky with a couple other ones, <laughs> but the, the putting was not on track this weekend for sure. Something I got to definitely go back to. And then obviously you can't talk about sawgrass without the 17th hole. You know, the iconic island green. So it was about the 11th hole, I believe, if I remember correctly. I started to get nervous thinking, thinking about ahead it. <laughs> to the 17th. And every, 
I think that hole played 140, something like that. Every shot I had in that general area, I'm like, okay, this is going to be the Prepping. shot that I have to hit on 17. Like, I got to do it right. So, like, you know, every shot you hit leading up to that, you're kind of thinking about it as you're walking up there. But you walk up there, you know, it's it's hard to, you know, picture what it's like during the players because there's all those grandstands around. But it was it was so you know, picturesque with the tree on the right. And it was so difficult to try and hit a shot because your hands are shaking because it's like, <laughs> I'm paying all this money. And this is like the what whole, this, what this round this boils hole. down to. Like, can I hit the green here? So paying all this money, it was a $5 golf ball I hit, in the water. I hit two shots. The wind was blowing pretty hard. So my first one, I gusted to the back of the green and three putted for a bogey. And the other one, I bladed over the green and the water. So I was on like the back hill. <laughs> So watch out spectators. And it, it was pretty cool because they were encouraging you to like, you know, take it in, take pictures, take videos, hit another ball like here, because, you know, again, that's why everybody pays all that money to come here. So it was, you know, nothing like what I expected. I was, you know, expecting to be rushed around, like, don't soak it in. Don't take your time, like, keep it moving. Come on. But, you know, all in all, definitely well worth the, uh, the time and effort to get down there. It was a hefty price tag, but you know, the memories will last a lifetime. It was a great round of golf, a lot of fun. And every time I watch the players now, you know, I can I can relate to every hole and be like, that hole was so much harder in person than it looks on TV. <laughs> I mean, that's like what we're experiencing yeah. when we played Pine Needles and watched the Women's U.S. Open. And that's the that's priceless. I know 500 bucks is a steep price for a round, but it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And you're right. Like, you're going to know. Like, it's like a math equation. Once you factor in double breaks with grain and you think about how cam smith the way he putted there to win that event last or this year unbelievable stuff from him how uh also wanted to ask so how was the finishing stretch so 16 the par five and then 18 too with that big old lake on the left how was that uh every hole was basically impossible uh, <laughs> the wind was blowing hard so 16 the par five i hit a drive into the pine needles i think like on the kinda, left kind of right on the line so i had to hit a slice to get to the green i think i had like 230 in probably hit the best shot i had all day started out over the water would have cut beautifully back to the green but the wind was pushing so hard off the left i think i bounced on the green went in the water so i like dropped Good shot and though, was able yeah. to make par so that was i was happy with that 17 of course three putt bogey 18 i think that's a tee shot that is underrated and that's intimidating that yeah. tee shot i think i hit four balls i hit the first three in the water because <laughs> you have to the, the way the, 42 it's a hard dog leg you have no idea what the right carry is but essentially the way the wind was blowing you had to aim like way out of the way for the wind to kind of blow it back and not blow it in the water so definitely a tough shot i mean obviously and then you know you still have a long way in even if you hit a, a really good drive you so. didn't just hit the two iron stinger like tiger <laughs> yeah. that's what i want to know so you mentioned how like how tough it was there's like basically hazards so tight all that kind of stuff did as you as someone who is typically a, a pretty strong driver of the ball did you let that change or you're just kind of swinging away regardless so i went there and like the first hole you had these weird carries i'm like i'm not here to lay up off the tee like, Damn i'm hitting drivers Big so player. hit the first one not great. Hit another breakfast ball. Drove it just short of the green. I was like, okay, I'm going to keep doing this. Well, then we get to several holes where it's like your landing area is so tight. It's like I have to hit three iron, which every time I hit three iron, I put it in a fairway bunker. <laughs> and it's like, why am I? Well, I could have hit driver and, you know, been in the bunker, but 100 yards further or whatever. So the, uh, the tactful play definitely did not pay off for me when I was playing there. Love it. So then other than TBC Sawgrass, you also got to play a couple other rounds too. You want to walk us through those? 
Yeah, so I think the one I want to talk about is the, the Little Sandy on the Omni Amelia Island Resort. It's a par three course, not quite as nice as the cradle, but it's the same kind of vibe where it's, you know, perfectly manicured, you know, short, they have speakers going, you're encouraged to just relax and have a good time. And it's, you know, one of those things, it's the second time I've played something like that, the cradle and now this one, we need more of this. This is such a perfect way to get people into the game. Uh, my girlfriend, Allie played, she didn't, she didn't play every hole, but she was out there hitting it around. And, uh, so she was having a good time. I think she got frustrated, but yeah, it was her first time playing in a long time. Yeah, so there's golf nothing else very to expect. I, I think my wife saw when you posted that video of Ali playing. She was like, "I think I'm going to start playing golf." So, <laughs> yeah. so maybe we can go in on a set of clubs for them or something. Yeah, there, there we go. But it, it was such a. I played barefoot the entire way around, and you're out there in like a tank top and shorts. It's just so laid back. But again, their their greens were in perfect shape. You're hitting off grass tees. It was very challenging because the greens were all undulated. So it was, it was a good time, but yet a uh, uh, experience easy enough that someone who doesn't play much or hasn't played can make it enjoyable. So I think that's our business idea around here. We got to start like a nice par three course years. brewery kind of idea. So investors out there, possibly you, possibly you. <laughs> I've already got all the names here. for the beers laid out. They're all golf related. It's perfect. And you know, just like Pinehurst, they also had a eighteen hole putt putt course which is essentially a huge green just like you'd play out on a normal golf course very undulated that you play around and, and we had a great time doing that as well worldwide why <laughs> yeah i think the the beautiful thing about these little part three courses too is like they don't have to be perfectly manicured from in between tea and green too you yeah. can be a little bit more native in like like pinehurst i'm sure like this one so that's great. That does our segment for this week. We'll be back in a second to talk about Live Golf. We got a we had a pending lawsuit. We had a court hearing today. We'll talk more about that. And then we'll talk about the FedEx St. Jude coming up this week. So 11 previous PGA Tour players that defected to live filed an antitrust lawsuit against the PGA Tour. Um, this was really interesting because this is not live versus the PGA Tour. This is players against the PGA Tour and players that very fruitfully made a ton of money and enjoyed the PGA Tour for many years. So a really interesting world we're getting into now. Three of those players requested temporary restraining orders to play into the playoffs because they had already kind of qualified. Matt Jones, Taylor Gooch, Hudson Swafford. Three guys that, first of all, don't like the world on fire. I'm so happy Liv got them. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about some of the stuff that happened today. So the court, the first initial court case happened today. Uh, looks like the PGA Tour won. These players will not be allowed to play in the playoffs. Uh, this is kind of step one. Lots of interesting things happened today. What are you guys' thoughts? Yeah, so the uh, TRO, temporary restraining order, got denied. So right there, those three guys who had qualified for the FedEx Cup are still not going to be in. So pretty impactful because then the PGA Tour would have been like, wait, so do we kick Ricky back out? But we got to keep him in for ratings. So, <laughs> so that was interesting. And I think they set a trial for this full case for next September. So there's another year of everybody on live not being able to play in PGA Tour events or uh, DP World Tour events. So they're going to start cratering in the world golf rankings and probably not even make it into majors going forward. Yeah, it's really big because it sets the big precedent as well. Like it's going to be a little bit tough for them to 
kind of, I think, claw their way back into the PGA Tour with this law, the whole overall lawsuit with the fact that this was immediately, you know, nope, this, is, this doesn't fly. So it'll be interesting to follow here moving forward. You know, it's just, I'm a little disappointed. I was kind of hoping it was going to fly just for the drama, like just to be able to watch, like, like, can you? Of course you were. It would have, <laughs> can you? Uh, King of Habib. Gooch, <laughs> Gooch would have been at the 20th. I was looking at the, the rankings or whatever. So he would have been in there where he could actually kind of compete and be relative if he manages to win or anything. Is it probably at least guaranteed at that point to advance to the BMW? So if someone was able to make a big run and even even if he finished like top five there, like how like much like just drama it would cause, I think it would just be interesting content to see. It's been interesting, though, watching some of these players play in the majors and – the fan reception hasn't been terrible. I know yeah. Phil got backed off when they were in Bedminster, but that was actually at a live event. Um, but I don't know. I, don't, I wouldn't have minded these guys coming back. I think that the PGA Tour is proper in its stance. I don't like that these players are essentially suing their former colleagues because the PGA Tour is essentially like it's it's run by a head, but then the money and how it's funded and run is really is paid for by the players. So I think that it's just like, man, you're really burning those bridges. Uh, but I think that the the way that the decision was was made today, I think didn't surprise me at all. Um, but there were a lot of really interesting comments from this court case and, and a lot of it not even pertaining to what was at hand. I think the most interesting one that I heard uh, was that the live lawyers said that money won in tournaments at live events is recouped against their live contracts. So I think that most of us and most of the players believe that if they went over and they signed a $20 million contract and then like Henrik Stenson won last week and made almost $5 million, that Henrik would be on the hook and be paid about $25 million by the end of his contract. Well, it's looking like that's not the case. It's looking like Henrik's more or less capped at 20 or promised 20. And then if his winnings exceed 20, he'll get a little more. Uh, but you know, as, as the schedule comes out for next year and it looks like there's more events and then now it looks like the money is not on top of the money they were already guaranteed, some of this stuff's really starting to crumble for me. And I would not be surprised. I mean, we certainly don't know a lot about these contracts and I'm sure they can't get out of them very easily, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of these big players start thinking, wow, this is not nearly as lucrative as I hoped it would be. Yeah, it's going to be interesting because it really sets the precedent uh, for them. Like, okay, well, if I'm not going to, and seemingly they were all under the impression, because this isn't the first time we've heard that same claim that, oh, they're not actually like getting an additional money on top of their guarantee stuff. Uh, that it, why These guys aren't really theoretically going to have any desire to put any effort out in those events. They'll show up and just kind of hack it around. So it'll be interesting to kind of see what, how that develops. If, if this is true and you know, this, this, slip up maybe by the lawyer um you know kind of lives up to what he said if what how that does for the actual play and how that then will inevitably i think hurt the live tour overall yeah we'll see if the lawyer or someone recants those statements and i think from a viewer perspective whether bryson makes 200 million or 220 million because of his winnings that's irrelevant to me but i do think it's very important to the players so we might you're right see the play quality and kind of what i think is the inherent flaw with this whole thing is right the competitive nature of it seems so you know, irrelevant because these guys are getting paid so much. Why, why win? And now it's even more reason why win. Now the money's not even on top of what you're already promised. It's yeah. Kinda, it's kind of crazy. Like this to me just doesn't fit what makes golf great. Like golf watching the PJ tour to me is great because these guys go out there and they're competing to earn money and to win tournaments. These live golfers are basically like any other sport, like in the NBA, like they're signing a contract, they're guaranteed money. Whether they go out and win or lose a championship, they're still getting paid that money. 
I mean, it's just completely new perspective on a go- on golf, watching a golf tournament to me. Yeah, and, and in that vein, like another thing that came out in this trial today is the judge who's reviewed all these contracts basically said these live contracts lock these players up in a way that the PGA Tour could never have imagined. They're extremely restrictive, which is something we kind of talked about is like we don't even know what it means that Dustin Johnson or Bryson sign these contracts. Like they are going to be obligated to do a ridiculous amount of stuff for this live golf tour and the Saudi government and, you know, whatever else comes with these contracts. But, you know, there we are getting it in writing that, yeah, they are extremely restrictive. Yeah, I think one of the major reasons why this antitrust lawsuit came to light is that these players were complaining that the contracts they signed weren't nearly this restrictive, that they were saying that I have rights to play in the playoffs and I have rights to the future earnings on the PGA Tour. You can't just ban me. <laughs> well, yes, they can because that's what the contract said. And then, hey, guess what? You just signed a new contract that's even worse, so don't even think about trying to get out of that one. Yeah, uh, I just want to kind of throw back real quick. I just saw... Uh, Liv has already backed off on the whole uh, that they are recouping money against the salaries that that was uh, taken out of context. Apparently, the question is based off of oh, talking about FedEx Cup earnings and recouping money from that rather than recouping money from their guarantees. Again, obviously, this is all a lot of legal mumbo jumbo for us, but they've already started recanting on that. So it'll be interesting to see again how that develops. It yeah. is a bit worrisome, I think, though. I think even though you're you're right, they've might have recanted that. It just seems like for them to be so and for things to come to light that just seems so inconclusive when uh, these guys join this league for the money, I think is, is worrisome if I was any of those players. Yeah, and, and just this whole narrative that the live golf guys are throwing out there that they're just they're not making enough money and the PGA Tour is just making so much money off their backs and these poor guys, I think, is a, a big word that was thrown out during these hearings it's like these guys have made they're millionaires they've made you know 20 30 40 million dollars from the pga tour and yet they're trying to spin this narrative out there of oh my gosh they these guys are having such a tough time and they've been taken advantage of and we're trying to just get them what is due and it's like that that's just terrible optics for just the general public out there speaking of all that money did you guys see that in the last couple of days, the PGA Tour started circulating basically their future plans for like how the purses are going to increase and everything. And said, I think it came out with it was like if Jim Furyk was to be like a rookie um, starting in the 2022 2023 <laughs> season and had the same 28 year career or whatever that he had, his 71 million that he's made or something like that would be like 640 million wow, that's based impressive. off of it. So it'll be, I mean, and like Rory would be currently at like 330 or something. And there are certainly some really bright spots to what's going on in golf right now. And I hope that in five years we don't look back at a sport that's just been like put through war and never recovered. I really do hope it's a brighter side. But those certainly weren't the intentions of Norman and the Saudis, right? They wanted to make their own money. I think what's interesting about this is like to this point, I've not been a supporter of Live, but the guys that went to Live like teach their own, right? Make your money if golf is not important to you, the competitive aspect, make your own money. But I think that these players coming back and and behind the steel curtain of their Saudi lawyers suing their previous content, you know, previous counterparts on the PGA Tour, I think is beyond embarrassing. And I think that they think they're owed this money, but the lawyer expenses that the PGA Tour put forth come out of the player's salary and the players' purses. So I think it's beyond embarrassing for these players to come back to the PGA Tour and say, give us what we're due, but oh, by the way, we're also going to really financially injure the people we used to work alongside and love. 
So speaking of, uh, you know, you mentioned the players that have gone or maybe will go, there is some pretty big news circulating out there that uh, maybe hits dub a little harder than the rest of us about Cam Smith allegedly signing a you know $100 million uh, deal to go and join Liv post the FedEx Cup playoffs. How are we thinking that that really dub? How do you feel about like your for the like the fourth time your favorite golfer just being like, yeah, I want, maybe want to go to live instead. Yeah, no comment. <laughs> uh, no, I mean it's extremely disappointing. I mean, granted, he's still playing in the FedEx Cup. He still has plans to play in the President's Cup. So I've got you know my fingers and toes crossed that this is just fake news out there. But if he goes, man, that that's a huge get for Number Liv. two in the world. That's a kick to the nuts for me as you know a huge fan of him, and it's going to be tough. But yeah, he's a, he's a young guy. He's number two in the world. Could easily be number one before too long, and it'd be a huge loss for the tour. And it, it's hard to imagine because he's a guy who's always said he's not in it for the money. He's in it for the you know competition and to win the majors and win the tournaments. So kind of a surprising move him so i'm hoping this isn't true and i can continue to root for them but yeah here we go i'm gonna have to line up a new favorite golfer in another who month. will inevitably who will yeah exactly <laughs> follow the trend of of joining live in another month and the verdict's not out for me yet on cam right i i think that it looks like this is this deal is gonna go through um but it kind of it makes me recall i don't know who it was but someone on the pga tour oh was it maybe like billy horschel talking about i'm just tired of people being two-faced right and i look at cam and cam's driveway is a lamborghini and cam's gonna go over here and say i'm joining live because i want to play more team related events it's like cam you know just be honest it's a hundred million dollars that's why you're doing it. it's all masking I can't help but wonder if like his performance this year is what kind of almost drove him to that. Even though, yes, this is by far his best year on tour, a lot of success, made a lot of money. But based off how the majors and everything has you know, trailed out this year, letting people play, winning the players and winning the Open gets him so much exemption where he theoretically would be guaranteed a spot in all these majors for what is probably you know going to be the peak of his playing career and his, you know, early 30s, late, you know, maybe 40s kind of stretch. I'm not exactly sure how old he is. So I wonder if that was just enough to be like, I can still do those majors. I can still go for those big events that I want while also doing the team thing. I'm just curious. Like, I think I got to imagine his recent performance, what impacted that well, decision. And, and I think the jury's still out a little bit on if he can bank on that. For sure. Because they, they don't know. The, I think Fred Ridley at the Masters, at Augusta National, the chairman there, he is, he is definitely – come out saying or working with the PGA tour to be like, we're not letting these guys come play. Yeah. So he, he has this exemption, but all these majors could easily just change their stance and say, if you're live, you're not playing in our major. Yeah, for sure. But uh, like I said, I just don't, I'm just wondering if there is none of that stuff's actually come out. Everyone's been on the, like everything has blatantly been like for this year. I'm just wondering if does he know something else? Like is the open really not going to have the defending champion come back next year to play? They didn't invite Norman to the dinner, but I agree. I agree. Norman, the the head of it versus the guy that won it last year that in general is a very likable guy. You know, it's it's a little bit of a different situation. I think he's doing a pro. Yeah. Cam sitting down doing a pros and cons and you're right. And somewhere in the middle, probably leaning more toward a pro because it's probably more than likely that the, the majors don't necessarily side with the PGA tour. It definitely could happen. It's still up in the air, but then also think about cam and you think about cam's always been a good golfer, but cam is playing out of his mind this year. Yeah. So then cam taking the opportunity to cash in on what is ridiculously hot play. 
I think that's why it's probably why he's doing it, right? He's not. This is not sustainable. What he's doing right now, I it maybe it could be, but what he's doing right now is unbelievable. Plus the family aspect of it. Remember at the players, he came out and was like, "Yeah, I haven't seen my family in like six months or something like that." Uh, obviously, it's very different for him versus say a Phil or a DJ or a Brooks. But you know, this guy's in Australia. The PGA Tour is primarily going to be over here. It's a big. Yeah, yeah, kind of I'm sure there's like I'm sure there's a castle or some kind of some kind of some kind of building in Saudi Arabia that they can house his family. Like Thirteen in, uh, events or twenty events. Right? I also don't buy that excuse at all. Like, don't we already know that there's going to be like way more events on this live tour next year? I mean, mm-hmm. you're going to be traveling it's all be over more, the yeah. world. Live events, Asian tour, like yeah, the whole thing. Oh, I'm going to spend more time with family. Like, completely throw that out the window. Well, that's all, now, that's all closer to Australia than the U.S. is. Was yeah, my point. Okay. Yeah, tour. But he lives in. Florida, like right by Tallgrass, right? I should have swung <laughs> That's by not his where house his family is. Trying to talk him out of it. <laughs> All right, so then looking forward to this week. I mean, live. we could talk about it forever, but let's talk about the FedEx St. Jude. We got our first week of the PGA Tour playoffs, right? We got two events, and then we got the, in the, the Coca-Cola Championship event. You know, each of these events, points are quadrupled. So when you think about how good of a year that Scotty Scheffler's had, any guy in the top 10 wins next week, they pass Scotty Scheffler. Scotty's won four events this year. He's been unbelievable. But if anybody in the top 10 wins this event coming up this week and Scotty doesn't get like, you know, a top 10 or top 20, they're going to pass him, right? So that's how important these events are. We've seen in years past, uh, I think it was Bryson won one or two of these events and then ended up winning the Tour Championship with a modified scoring, but wasn't really on the radar going into the Tour Championship. So guys are looking to get hot. Uh, we only got 125 guys this week, so big cut made last week at Wyndham. Uh, we're going to keep shrinking, but tell you, let's talk about some of those guys that just got in and then some that just missed it. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some names. We've, we've talked about it already a couple times. I think the biggest name, the biggest headline is, you know, Ricky Fowler being numbered 125, Mr. Irrelevant, arguably. Um, you know, getting in there, I think that's probably the biggest one we've all seen. It's, the, it's a PGA Tour darling, so to speak, for sure. Um, and then I think another one I think Ben and I were talking about was Webb Simpson. I think he got in. He was kind of right on that fringe line. He ended up getting to like 113 in the rankings. So, you know, got in there a little more comfortably than Ricky did. But this is a guy that I feel like plays so much better than what you, you would expect. You would expect him to be way more up in the rankings versus Ricky who's been struggling to make cuts. And who knows what's going on with Webb's game, right? Because he's that kind of guy where every year he's got 10 events, and those 10 events he always plays great in, and that's kind of how he secures his card. But, yeah, who knows what's going on? We know Ricky got married. He's got a kid now, so he's got some things going on in his life. Uh, But, you know, who knows what's going on with Webb? And this Webb's guy actually has managed to win a major championship. Also has won the player. He's done, like, he's had arguably a more successful career than Ricky Fowler. Absolutely. To be fair, I think Webb was battling some injuries earlier this year. I think he missed like 10 or so tournaments, but so maybe that has something to do with it. But yeah, I agree. He should have made that up by now. Yeah, sleeper to look at in the playoffs, though. Yeah. We look at his recent performance, yeah. And then Jason Day was one that I was a little surprised, almost like that he did make it. I am surprised he made it. He's, it's just, see, it feels like every week he's got some sort of injury that he's battling or he has to withdraw or, you know, whatever it is. I was a little surprised he snuck in, but again, it's one of those big names that I feel like everybody does know and recognizes and roots for. So it was kind of a surprising one to see. I feel like Jason Day. Maybe this is just me, but I feel like he was really grinding this year. Like, you know, you know he didn't have his last clearly didn't have his best game. But, but I mean, like he was playing like in all those tournaments we talk about, like we might not give as much coverage as other tournaments, like, right. like the Wyndham or I don't know, the Rocket Mortgage Classic or something like that. Jason Day's played in like all of those. Yeah, and he did grind it out this yeah. year. You're right. Yeah. His different schedule, much different schedule for him. I think what's been mostly interesting for me, though, is the names that actually end up missing the cuts. It's because it's been a lot of like, it's almost like a changing of the guard. Like the two 
now Ryder Cup captains, and Zach Johnson and Luke Donald both missed it. I think they both have exemptions and stuff, so they'll technically still have their PGA Tour card for next year. But, you know, some of these older names that we've seen and known for a long time are now just can't quite cut it anymore. See, some of those guys are also over on live. That's a whole different thing. Uh, also, you know, fan favorite, notable dude wipes representative, Harry <laughs> Higgs, unfortunately missed it. So he's going to have to go back and kind of fight to get back on that PGA Tour card status with the Corn Ferry Tour finals and stuff. So that'll be interesting. And then a couple other major champions as well. And we got um, Danny Willett was there. Uh, Brant Snedeker, who's won nine times on the tour, didn't quite make it. Uh, Jimmy Walker, who's exemption from winning the 2016 PGA, he didn't make it. He was like 190th. So, you know, there's a lot of people that now we won't be seeing unless they're getting that Ricky Fowler handout, uh, you know, um, sponsor exemption. Yeah, I think the Danny Willett one's interesting. He's a, a you know, a protege of our guy, Sean Foley. And I, we had connected with Sean a little bit earlier this year. We should hopefully have him on the pod sometime this year. He revamped Danny. He looked. He made Danny start looking like he was the guy that won the Masters a few years ago. I was really liking his swing. So really, really surprised to see Danny kind of fall out and lose his PGA Tour card this year. All right, let's look at this event then. So we got uh, TPC Southwind in Memphis, Tennessee. Any comments on the course, guys? And then uh, any players you're looking for this week? Yeah, so TPC Southwind is actually plays as a par 70, but it's a long par 70. I think there are seven par fours on this course measuring over 450 yards. So look for guys to, that can are both hitting it long and accurate off the tee. I heard that this, the Memphis area has experienced an extreme drought in like June and July. So I think there are also 11 days. There was over 100 degrees in July for Memphis area. So I'm sure the course is going to be baked out firm and fast. So um, they're going to get some run out on these fairways, but I think those are, it's going to make those approach shots a lot harder to kind of stick it on these greens. I think water comes into play and more than 10 holes on this course. So the approach is definitely going to be a big factor here this week. That's an interesting point. So when you think about when a course is playing really long, right, you generally would think, okay, long hitter, right? But then when you say the course is playing really really hard and fast or really soft, it's then it, then you kind of ask yourself, like, is it still the long hitter? Because if it's soft, then some guy's coming in with a 5-iron instead of an 8-iron, you can still kind of stop it. What's your guys' opinions on when courses play, like, unusually fast or unusually soft and slow? I'm hard on the side of I would much rather play the unusually fast, hard, firm course than the, the slow. I just I hit my ball so high every time, anyways that it just it, it gets it just gets stuck and don't get the same rollout. I think it's just more exciting because it makes I like the challenge of it for the PGA Tour players, and then it also. Just Do you think the way. advantage though is with the longer player or with the shorter player when it's firm and fast? That's my I think it, I think the advantage is with the shorter player because he gains distance, so he gets himself in a position where then he is able to use a wedge or something like that to get a little more spin on the ball and have a chance to stop it. Well, and also when it's firm and fast, you have to be so much more precise with your shots. I mean, uh, we, we don't ever play anything like that around here. You hit your wedge shot, it's just going to plug in the green basically. But when it's firm and fast, you got you to gotta plan for that. You got to plan for the carry, the roll, and everything like that. So definitely an advantage to the guys that are more accurate with their wedges and, and irons versus just kind of the bomb and gouge of – hitting driver way out there and just throwing wedges way up in the air and having them land on the green. And I think it depends on the course too, right? Like we saw a really baked out St. Andrews this year at the Open Championship and a lot of the long hitters were able to take advantage of that. On a course like this maybe where you have these 450 plus yard par fours, 
it might even the playing field a little bit and play a little more into the shorter hitter's advantage. See, that's where I think, like, I look at St. Andrews as the perfect example. I'm, I'm more on the team of bomb and gouge does really well when it's firm and fast because when I think of every PGA Tour player, I think of them all having a minimum excellent competency as short game players. So even if you're, you know, hitting the ball 40 yards because you're getting some crazy rollout in the fairways, but trending up in three-inch rough, I would just take a Tour pro from 50 yards short of the green out of the rough than 120 out of the fairway any day. Yeah, I mean, that was the whole Bryson approach, but I think this course is known for having a lot of water around it. So I think it kind of, because of that, that rollout, all that kind of stuff, it'll, it'll make it tough to play and see like what we saw at St. Andrews where there's not, water's really not an issue at St. Andrews unless you've got a big old problem. Um, so I think you're going to, I expect to see that it kind of, kind of come to the middle rather than one having just this huge advantage because you can hit the ball far. So we got any picks this week, anyone we're looking at? I'm really excited to watch the Scotty Cam battle. Yeah, they're number one and two by far. Scotty's got a big advantage in the FedEx Cup standings right about now. 1,100 like, 1, points. Like 12, yeah. 1,300 points. Yeah, something like that. And, you know, it's the quadruple thing, but I would fully expect both of them to perform well. I don't, both of them have, you know, taken a break since, uh, I think, really the Open. I don't think we've seen either of them in their yeah, fields. So they've, you know, plenty of rest, you know, ready to play. And both have played pretty well. I mean, uh, last year at this course, uh, it was a WGC event, but Cam finished tied for the fifth. Scotty was tied for 14th and then tied for 15th in his previous outing there. So they've both played fairly well here to be competitive and you know kind of keep that race. I'm really just curious to see. I think it's a two-pony race to see who wins the FedEx Cup overall. So I think that'll be interesting to watch. Yeah, this week I'm looking at uh, Victor Hovland. You know, Ken's not here to talk about him, but I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick up for him here. He's had what I'd say is a very disappointing season. You know, for being a quote unquote elite golfer, top five, ten talents in the world. He's had, you know, he had the the top five at the uh, Open Championship, but outside of that, he's he's had a pretty un unremarkable season. And and he's been here preparing. His coach is from the Memphis area. I think he's been quoted as saying TPC Southwind is one of his favorite courses. So he's going to be able to kind of let his uh, approach game really kind of out of the bag here and, and kind of rely on that this week. And I'd love for him to start kind of making a turn and and kind of prove the naysayers wrong as, as he starts turning a corner and, and start competing more. Well, I think, too, Victor Hovland, a disappointing year in results, um, but statistically still playing some really great golf. I think it's just really his short game and putting that's really starting to – it's almost digressed a little when we've known he hasn't really been great in those categories. But, you know, when it comes to those categories, I think that – uh your short game can look a lot better if you're maybe not being so aggressive and shooting at the pins and short-siding yourself, right? So I think that Victor might not be that far off from playing some pretty inspiring golf. I mean, I was on the air saying that I didn't think he could contend at St. Andrews because it's a course that requires short game. Uh, but I think Vic really plotted his way around that golf course and made it so that his short game shots weren't nearly as difficult as it could be. Notable, he is inside the top 20 for the FedEx Cup standing, so it's definitely someone to watch. You know, uh, you know, like I said, one big win, he's going to get 2,000 points. Oh, he wins one, he's top five, yeah. right? And then it's all kind of fair game. That being said, how do you guys feel about the whole yeah, let's that, talk- that, that staggered start thing they do? So basically how the FedEx Cup works, you know, the first event's top 125. There's a, I think it's a six, top 65 in ties is the cut line. And then the BMW and then the Tour Championship are no cut. Yeah, so 70 and then 30. 70 and 30, respectively, just getting cut based off the aggregate standings you know what they're getting out of these playoffs as well as where they stood uh through the regular season but then in the tour championship you know we'll assume at this point say 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 scotty he's going to be at 10 he's going to start round one at 10 under and then 
whoever number 30 is, which at this point would be Luke List, would be even par. So, like, just how do you guys feel about that whole setup? I'm not a big fan of it, personally. Well, I think when they brought it in, when they when they made the changes to go to this, uh, I was fairly interested in it because I certainly think when you're watching the final round of the Tour Championship and then the guy that's in the lead really doesn't have a chance <coughs> to actually win the entire thing, it feels like, what's this event really, really crowning? Um I don't think that the scoring and starting 10 under versus starting even is like on paper very pretty, but I'd say over the past few years, we really have crowned the, the best champions. Like starting two strokes ahead, the first first place player and the second place player, 10 under and eight under, that two shots doesn't seem huge, but it really ends up being super influential coming down the final round. So I would say on paper, didn't love this, still don't love the way it looks, but it's really produced the best winners, I think. Well, I think this format really relieves us and the, commentators of trying to do the math like on every right. shot yeah. we're like oh this guy has this many points so like does he even have a chance to win now we can just say all right well it's like watching any other golf tournament here's a score he's got to get this he's got to beat this score to win it i definitely agree with that aspect of it like but i, I like the as- idea of you know basically going into this fi- the finals you know say it was a you know a seven game series in the nba that anyone who shows up can fully win this and you're all starting from you know we don't we're both at zero zero. No one has anything. I like that better, especially because they do already have like the Comcast business tour top 10 for like whoever played the best through the season's already getting like a big pay bonus. And then it's just flat out best man wins that week, similar to other tournaments, but you still had to be top 30 on the year to even get into it. Yeah. I mean, I, I personally think this, this format is a dumpster fire because it's not worth watching outside of like four guys. Yeah. You know, so Everybody else, they're just out there playing for a participation trophy. Like, give me the final event, 30 guys, winner take all, and just let's see what happens. You know, throw the points aside. This isn't like F1 racing or whoever they stole this format from. Like, whoever plays the best golf in the finals, they win the prize. Yeah, like at the end of the second event, they just crown the regular season playoff champion. And then the tour championship is just those 30 that made it. It's a $35 million a prize purse, right? And then you're right, just winner take all. Like, that would be interesting. Like you said, because the, the last few, like you're not, they're not really relevant for the tournament, barring an unbelievable round compared to everybody else. And it's, it's almost got a little bit of that live aspect. Where they're guaranteed a big paycheck because it is the tour championship. There's only 30 players and has a $15 million purse for the tournament itself. And like it's, it kind of has that weird vibe. Like I don't really need to try. I know I'm not going to win this most likely. Like who won this last year? Patrick Cantlay. Yeah. Like is there anything less entertaining than watching Patrick Cantlay go out there and just try and you know? I beat John Rahm by one. It was. I just think that my my argument is that the cream really seems to rise to the top. Although this thing is, you're right. It it seems stupid to start ten under versus even when you look at the tops, the top five finishers in the past five seasons. You really have seen the cream rise to the top, and not always the guys that had the most points coming in. It's the guys playing the best golf like guys that played well in the playoffs yeah, I, th- I think that's a good idea i think we're on to something here with incentivizing like maybe that comcast business tour top 10 or whatever something that incentivizes people to finish in first place heading into the tour championship and then maybe open it up to the rest of the field but you got to have some incentive for scotty scheffler going out there and having the year that he's had and finishing first place you got to give him something like I don't know. Watching these tournaments all year, they throw up the Comcast Business Tour top 10, and I'm just like, what the heck what is, is this? I've never even heard of it. I don't know how this scoring works. Like, what's going on here? It's just the FedEx Cup standings, and then there's, like, another, like, $15 million is passed to the top 10. It's it's almost, like, Pip-esque. But they just, it's not enough money, so you got to go live. 
<laughs> just not enough to raise a family on. Yeah, you got to live paycheck to paycheck <laughs> if you win the FedEx Cup. All I know is that, like, I remember watching Tiger win at Eastlake, win that tour championship, and then just watch Justin Rose like get handed the trophy. I'm like, prize. why the like, heck? What am I doing? Like, I was so, it was very like, It was so cool to watch Tiger win, and then it was like, it just felt wrong to watch someone else get the trophy because they had more FedEx Cup points. And it, it, this still does encourage that same thing. So then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give my pick for this week, and then I think this guy can also win the FedEx Cup playoffs, and that's Cam Young. It's a weird one because Cam, although he's been playing some pretty inspiring golf, came in second at the Open, just guy seems, you know, second at the PGA Championship. Guy, or, no, it was Will. I guess Cam came in third at the PGA Championship. Uh, guy is the only player in the top ten without a win. And it just feels like the the seal on this bottle is just, it's got to burst at some point, right? There's a pack of Mentos in this Coke bottle, and it's just going to blow. And Cam Young just has the perfect kind of game for this course like we talked about. I know there's a lot of water, but Cam, as far as he hits the golf ball, he reminds me a lot of like DJ where he kind of takes the side of the course out of play and he plays a big high fade. I think he can succeed here, and then I really like Cam's creativity when you get to East Lake. I think another thing about why we don't see a lot of come from behind victories is because East Lake is just such a ridiculously hard course, so it's hard to go out there and shoot 61, 62, even if you're just doing everything right. So I like I like Cam to kind of take it all. And you mentioned DJ and the way he takes out uh, side of the course. He's played this course so well. I think he has two wins here. He won in 2020 where he like didn't, he like made it from like 150 yards on the 18th yeah. hole and just walked it off like – so I, I do like that pick a lot. I am going to – I know we always have to have one guy on this podcast, Zig, when everyone's Zag. We've talked about Willie Zalatoris and this quote-unquote rough month he's had. He's now fired his caddy. I'm going to pick him this week. No one's – I think he's the best ball striker on tour right now. We talk about whether it benefits a short hitter or a long hitter to play on a firm course like this. Well, when you can drive it well off the tee and you have some of the best irons in the world, then you don't even need to worry about that. So give me Willie this week. On that same note, I'm going to go with Matt Fitzpatrick. You know, we saw him play, you know, a longer, harder course, the U.S. Open. So I think, it, it, yeah, the country club. And it's, I think that's going to be, an, it's kind of, you know, hits the irons well, can do all the shots, is doesn't really get himself in trouble, has some weird cross-handed chip, and I think he's got a real chance to, to be up there in the top five. You know, we're really missing some of our notoriety and some of our big players here in the FedEx Cup playoffs. Like, I'm not going to lie. It just doesn't feel as exciting when we don't have guys like DJ and Bryson and and even, yeah, Brooks and even like Patrick Reed to come and spoil everyone's fun. (laughs) Uh, But I really like getting behind some of these new young guys, right? Like Zalatoris and Young. And these are the future of golf. I really don't think Liv is going to have much success in really getting these young guys. I mean, I know like five, five, ten million dollar contract in your face when you're 18 years old is is massive, but I think it seems like most of these young kids really do want to play on the PGA Tour. So I'm happy to get behind them. So Ben, are we going with a contrarian play this week? Since you're not backing your boy Rory, well, you, I just think are that you kind of fading him so that you know it's the the hedge from. Well, I think that Rory still has a great chance to win the thing overall. I just don't think this course necessarily fits his game too well. Um, likes to move the ball too much. It's more of a consistent a consistent driver of the golf ball's course. Um, but, yeah, I think Rory could easily win this thing outright. It's tough, man. It seems like it's been so long since we've seen these guys play that it's like you almost forget, like, what their games was like. So I'm going to need to get back to the drawing board and see, you know, how does, how does Rory's game kind of fit in the playoffs this year. All right, that does it for us tonight. Thanks for joining us. Uh, make sure to tune into the the FedEx St. Jude, the first event of the FedEx Cup playoffs. Uh, if you haven't yet, head on over to Instagram. Give us a follow at Big Players Only Pod and uh, check out our sponsor, Forecraft Cocktails. You can order their stuff online, have it shipped right to your door at Forecraft Cocktails and ForecraftCocktails.com. Catch you next week.